Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I'm actually going to bring you another episode of The Business of Marketing, which is a new show that we just launched last week. And the reason being is I think you're going to find this conversation to be exceptionally insightful and really useful when it comes to understanding how chief marketing officers and chief people officers work together to drive real growth for the company, but also uphold purpose, build employer brand, work on skill sets, developing the talent of the future. There's so much in this episode and I found it to be just, again, really insightful for myself. I hope you'll enjoy this episode. It is with Michael Fercaro, who is the Chief People Officer of MasterCard, as well as Raja Rajvanar, who is his peer as President of the Healthcare Division and also Chief Marketing and Communications Officer for MasterCard. So you're going to hear from the pair of them how they've been working together. And then later this week, we're going to be back with another episode of CMO Moves. This one is going to be really exciting, so just wait to see who it is. 
But if you do enjoy the business of marketing, I just wanted to make sure you knew this show existed. We just launched it last week. If you just Google the business of marketing ad week, you'll find it. And you can catch up with last week's episode that featured Janie Whiteside, Chief Customer Officer of Walmart, and Deborah Koyama, who is the Global Chief Growth Officer of Unilever. And stay tuned for next week because we have two more incredible guests coming. Nuno Tellis, who is the president of Diageo Beer Company, and Kevin Hockman, who is the president of Pizza Hut and KFC at Yum Brands. You won't want to miss their perspective on what it takes to go from CMO to president. With that, enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to The Business of Marketing. I am so excited about today's episode because actually, fun fact, Mr. Raja Raja Manar is going to join us, who is the president of the healthcare division of MasterCard. He's also the chief marketing and communications officer of MasterCard. And it was about four years ago, I actually wrote a case study on Raja and his activities at MasterCard, and it was called The Business of Marketing. And that's exactly what we're going to dig into today. But a lot has changed and developed. So we're also going to bring on his colleague, Michael Fracaro, who is the chief people officer of MasterCard. And we're going to talk about how they work together to improve marketing across the organization, credibility in the C-suite, and the influence that marketing can have for the greater good. So with that, Raja, Michael, hi and welcome. Hello. Nice to see you you both. I am thrilled to have you both on. And I thought maybe it would help if we started with each of you giving a little information about your role and then how you two work together. So, Michael, I'm just meeting you for the first time today. So how about we start with you? For sure. Yeah. So nice to meet you. And thank you for the invitation to be on this call, on this podcast. Yeah, the role that I have encapsulates everything to do with people. And we intentionally made a change a few years ago to move it from the human resources function to the people and capability function, because we see the whole purpose of what we do uh, at MasterCard is very linked to the skills and the delivering of the potential of our people around the organization, rather than a transactional approach that sometimes people would uh, a pine on on HR functions. So that's um, a little of the, the context. In terms of the role and responsibility, it covers the whole gamut of things. And I think everything came into the spotlight last year with the pandemic in particular, where we had to pivot very quickly to focus very much on people working remotely and to ensure that we had the technology, but more importantly, the employee experiences that reflected our culture and our brand. And so a lot of the work comprised a lot of different people from different parts of the organization, in particular from Raj's group as well on the communications front in particular. And, uh, and we can go into that a little later on. Wonderful. Thank you for that. And Raja. Nadine, I'm so glad to be here on the business of marketing and really looking forward for what seems to be an amazing, amazing show that you have lined up, which I'm sure will be even more successful than your previous podcast series, which I thought was fantastic, the CMO Moves podcast. And what an amazing series that was. And it's a particular delight to be there on this show together with my colleague and friend, Michael Fracaro, who is probably the best 
human resources slash people officer that you can aspire to have as a colleague. And it's such a delight to be there with him on this particular podcast. So as you rightly said, my role is uh, chief marketing and communications officer. And I also oversee our healthcare business at MasterCard. And like Michael started, you know, and he's very right when he talks about HR transforming itself into a people business, marketing is also a people business. It's all about people. Like until such time, businesses are now run by machines, hopefully not in our lifetimes. I think we will still be marketing to people and it's a people business. And so there is a natural synergy between, you know, marketing and the people capabilities function. And that's how I think Michael and I, we collaborate very closely. We are partners in crime, so to speak, to get good things done for the company. Yes, absolutely. So let's talk about that partnership a little bit more. Because Michael, you said it up front, like last year, there was never a more important time for everyone across the organization to come together and work together, but taking care of not just consumers and partners, but employees and communications plays a really large role in that as do a number of other things. So how did you two actually approach this together? Well, first of all, I just want to point out you guys were well-prepared and we're going to talk about how you were well-prepared, but let's go back. March, 2020, who called who? (laughs) Who called who? Yeah, so it's one of those things that, you know, when a crisis happens, right, it's almost a a call tree. It almost everything just works as as a machine. I know we didn't want to talk about machines, but it is. It's very systemic and there are, there are processes and protocols. And really the whole C suite came together to actually say, what is it we need to do here? And there are multiple stakeholders. You rightly talked about Nadine. They're obviously the, the customers and understanding what they're going through as well and what role we could play. And I know Raja will talk a lot about how he and his function really lent in there from a marketing and a, and a communications perspective and helping the other stakeholders as well. For my role, it was really around, my gosh, our employees and their families are going to go through hell right? There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of uncertainty. And our role is really to actually ensure that there's a level of calmness, first and foremost, and a, and a reflection of our culture. And we talk about a culture of decency. We've, you've probably heard it a lot, Nadine. We talk about what, what really differentiates MasterCard. We talk about IQ, EQ, and DQ, and the DQ being this decency quotient. And we talk a lot about, we always have our hand on your back, not on your face. And in a time of crisis, it's where our employees and our customers have to see that those words actually matter when you're actually going through an emergency situation like we did last year. So it all started with, what is it that we want to say? What's going to be most concerning for employees? And at the very beginning, it was about job security. We saw a lot happening in the media where organizations were really struggling and there were either employees being furloughed or there were job losses. Our CEO went very first upfront publicly and said, there will be no COVID-related job layoffs in 2020. And that just took a whole weight of anxiety and pressure from the whole employee base. And that was almost a foundational step that we took. Then every other action that followed from that at least from an employee perspective and family perspective, they knew that during the year, MasterCard was going to support them. 
uh, through that really difficult period of time. And then from then on, there was a whole lot of work that we partnered together. It was things like we had one initiative that we worked with uh, Raj's team from communications around tales from the new normal. And this was a way for employees to express what they were doing, what they were experiencing, where they were living, what they were doing with their families. And it really brought the human side into the organization as well as our leaders actually being human, not just a, a figure on a hierarchy, but actually at home with their pets running behind them and, and the kids. It just brought a level of humanity in the organization, which again reflects a lot of the culture. And there are a whole lot of other things that we did, but I think it really started that core around what is it that we stand for and what is the most important message we can give our employees. And it was around the psychological safety, the physical safety, and then obviously that whole emotional transition for them, their well-being during that crisis. That was sort of the key things that we focused on. Wonderful. And, and Raja, you as the president of the healthcare division and also owning marketing and communications, you know, what was that moment like for you and then working with Michael? See, first thing is, like Michael has said, the company has got a risk management plan at the overall level, right? Which kicks in whenever there is a crisis that materializes. Now, what was unique about MasterCard specifically is that about three years back or three and a half years back, we formed a risk management group within marketing because marketing by itself faces a number of risks. Though we do it at a company level, doing it at a functional level, probably we are the first company that has done within marketing having a risk management. So my previous CFO, I asked her to become my head of risk management. And what we tried to do is to identify the types of risks and then what is the probability that these risks will materialize? And if they materialize, what is going to be the impact? Then what do you do as a company? So what the overall company was extremely well prepared in the event of any, the eventuality of any crisis materializing, the marketing and communications department, which we call here IMC, Integrated Marketing and Communications, we were totally well prepared, number one. Number two, when you looked at, so the moment crisis happened, the first thing is, Internal communications plays a critical, critical role. Right to Michael's point, everyone feels insecure. They are uncertain what is happening and what will happen to them. So it is a piece of crisis that you cannot over-communicate. But communicate in a thoughtful, meaningful, transparent, responsible, empathetic manner. And that's exactly what this whole internal communications group was doing. And it, it was very methodical, very thoughtful, right? And it is something which, you know, that function has actually a dual reporting into Michael's area and into my area. Mm. There itself, there is a wonderful point of intersection between the two. This is one part of it. And they were continuously updating in various, whether it is town halls or webcasts or sending emails, all forms of communication. And they were also encouraging all the leaders of the company to show up in front of the employees in various forums and be in the natural settings, et cetera, so that we are humanizing these positions in the company and not an exalted, unreachable kind of a thing. But these are folks just like you and me, and you can see them, you can interact with them, and you feel comfortable. So this is one part of it. The other part I would say is we also try to do a bunch of things like externally, of course, we are trying to reach out to customers and tell them we are there for them. And we have been trying to 
you know, solve their issues and their problems without necessarily trying to sell them anything. Because there are times to sell, there are times to serve, and crisis is a time to serve, not to sell and exploit. So that, I think, as a decent company or a company that embodies decency, we, try, we actually absolutely did that. And one of the things we said is these are the times, just like for employees, externally as well, you have to be very visible. So you cannot, as a brand, go dark. So we did not pull back our advertising. We reshaped. We changed, of course, the focus of the content and how the intensity, but we were there. We were putting out calls to our customers. I have asked, for example, starting with me and my entire leadership team, to call every single one of the employees in our function to say, hey, we are here for you. If you are scared, even if it is the middle of the night, give us a call. We, we are there for you. Now, and if they take, a, take it up and call you in the middle of the night, you better answer it. And then, no, <laughs> it's not just a lip service and for political correctness, you do something. So I think that really resonated very well. And so much so I can tell you this, and I hope, Michael, this is okay to share by externally, but this 2020 has been probably one of the best years from an employee satisfaction scores point of view. You know, imagine in a pandemic, you got the best scores coming out. That tells you something about how things have been resonating. And we tried to do, for example, we got some fantastic assets, right? Sponsorship mm-hmm. assets, brand ambassadors. We started getting them into the company. Like, for example, we had Camela Cabello. We had a concert of Camela Cabello that our employees could, and it was a spontaneous, something like an unplugged kind of a concert that she was doing. She sang you know, three or four songs. We brought it to the employees and then they had fun. And we are bringing some of these chefs and giving an opportunity for employees and their families to interact with those chefs and learn a new recipe or how to bake a cake or whatever. So we are trying to really humanize the entire experience and make them feel that we are there with you and in it together with you. And that's where I think you know there has not been any what do you call a uh, gap between human resources or people and capabilities function, which is exactly the, you know, what Michael has was articulating and marketing and communications. We are really thickened you know, through all this stuff. Wonderful. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a, a small fact here that's kind of important for the industry. And that is we did a poll of our CMO community and we did couple of times last year, just to get a sense of how people were feeling. And towards the end of the year, it got even higher, but we were up to 84% of CMOs said that their role had elevated as a result of 2020. And we can all see why. But what's interesting is less than half actually have any ownership on communications. So therefore they need to exude their influence. I'm curious, Michael, how you think about that? Because there is a difference between ownership and influence, but does it matter sometimes who owns what? You all just work together for the right outcome, right? Yeah. I mean, we try to move away from just thinking about the the hierarchy, the formal reporting lines. A lot more effective work is done through influence and through collaboration. And so there are obviously roles and control functions and so forth where you have to have some level of line of sight in terms of accountability. But generally, quite often, if you start getting stuck in silo mentality, things start to break down and things start to swirl. So we try and overplay this piece around 
to be effective in this organization, we want to have thoughtful risk-taking. We talk about it, a sense of urgency. We talk about people taking ownership and we talk about simplification. I mean, there's sort of four leadership principles that go all the way through the organization. We call it the MasterCard way with that the focus in the center is the customer, our customer. And the customer for some of the um, internal functions, it's our employees and potential candidates that come here or former employees that are part of an alumni. So that's sort of how we think about it. And I think for, for us, over the, the course of last year, it probably just accelerated things that we'd already been working on, you know, things like the future of work. We've been working on that since I became uh, chief HR officer at that time back in 2017, because we started to shift, see the shift in the world. In fact, we partnered with Raj's team to actually leverage a lot of the data and insights about what's happening. What are some of the consumer trends? What are some of the trends we're seeing in the way that people are investing? What does that mean for the employees of the future? And we actually started building already models around what an operating model would look like in the future. And we started adopting agile ways of working. And we started looking and playing around with the kinds of office space, which allowed for flexibility and collaboration. We'd invested in tools, like we've got Microsoft Teams and Zoom, but we were leading at the front with a lot of those kinds of initiatives early on. And now what's happened is that because of COVID, where people have had to to lock down in many locations, it's just sped up a lot of the innovation and creativity that we needed to do. So I think when we come out of this pandemic, it's going to be different. And I'm always a half glass full sort of person. I'm very optimistic and hopeful and actually excited about what the future will bring. And the role that marketing communication plays in all of that is hugely important. So things like candidate experience, the people function learns a lot in the way that we write a recruitment campaign by leveraging some of the assets that Raja has. So we talk about priceless. Mask is all about prices. That's a big brand. One of the things that Raja's work did with us was around how do we use that brand to say connecting people to priceless possibilities. And we started to break that down into our employee value proposition. So connecting people to price, but what is it that people value from a career perspective? And it was about international. It was about progression. It was about working on really interesting things. And that's the work of partnering with the marketing function that actually brought that into our, our way of working for recruitment and campaigns. And then the communication, I think we talked about that. It's a hugely important part of ensuring that we're constantly communicating and re-engaging with our employees. And so that partnership is absolutely vital, both on the external, but more importantly, on the internal with our current employees. Yeah. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I have have seven subjects I need to cover with you guys because they're all important. (laughs) But if you're going there, I'm going there with you right now because that excites me a a lot. It was about, I want to say it was about five years ago, I chaired an HR retail event and I thought I'm a marketer. I don't actually know what I'm doing here. And I was chairing this event and over the course of two days, everybody who showed up who was in the HR function from retailers like Walmart and Amazon and Target, the full gamut, they were on stage talking about acquisition, click-through, retention, effectiveness of campaigns. And I thought, 
this is all about marketing. This is Mm -hmm. people marketers. And when I asked them, so you must be working closely with your marketing teams. I, I kid you not, not a single person said they were, they were all outsourcing their marketing. And I thought, my goodness, what an opportunity to close some gaps and leverage some synergies here. So it's nice to hear you have found that synergy. Raja, do you want to add on to what Michael was talking about, especially around employer brand, because it's so critical for marketing to succeed. You have to have the right talent on the inside. Yeah. So in fact, I think, you know, one of the beautiful things at MasterCard, I say, there is a level of collegialness and less of competition between the people sitting around the C-suite, right? We realize that collectively we win or collectively we lose. It's not that he wins and I lose or she wins and I, you know, it's not that kind of a thing. That dynamic, it's easier said than done, but having worked in many companies, I can tell you, Mm -hmm. this company is pretty unique in that. That's number one. So when Michael says about influence, is absolutely right. It's less about the formal definitions and the reporting structures, et cetera. Now, when we looked at marketing at one point in time, probably about four years or uh, four years or five years back, marketing and communications at MasterCard were also two distinct functions. We brought them together for a purpose because we saw that more evolved, more sophisticated companies were seeing this as one continuum. So if there is a bad social media tweet, is it communications that's going to solve? Is it marketing that's going to solve? The answer is it doesn't matter. And therefore, we created this integrated function between the two. Secondly, what we also try to do is get the core competencies established for this function. Like, you know, I keep talking about how rapidly marketing is evolving. We are entering the fifth paradigm. And what we require in that paradigm is very different than what we need today and so on. Mm -hmm. So in fact, partnering with Michael's function, what we had with his team, what we have done is we created something called the IMCR of the future. IMC being our function, IMCR of the future. What are the skills, the aptitudes, the competencies that are required that we have actually done it? And it was such an incredible amount of insight. You know, we learned a lot from his team. And at the end of the day, to bring it to life, either for new talent hiring, we need help from the people in capabilities organization. Whether it is about training our existing talent, okay, we are blessed with phenomenal talent in the company, but not everyone is equally trained on everything. And there are so many new fields that are coming, they have to be trained. So for learning and development, Again, this is a very close point of interaction between the two. The third, in fact, our CEO at the time, which is Rajay Banga, he has once mentioned, saying that, look, you know, marketers should not be linearly specializing in marketing. And actually, they should have job rotations outside. And likewise, if you want to really bring a consumer-centric culture, you should have people from outside of marketing coming into marketing and experiencing that has got a profound impact on how the culture of the company shapes up. So job rotations, assuming for a minute that me and Michael are not on talking terms, God forbidding. How do you make these things even happen, right? In terms of the career pathing for the people, how the job rotations have to be thoughtfully done, et cetera. Most recently, for example, one of the members on my team has just moved to Michael's team as part of this rotation in the learning and development organization she has moved into. Now, this is the kind of movement that we are also seeing being very beneficial for the employees, and they love it. 
because they know that we as a company are investing in them in their betterment in their future and that's absolutely wonderful to see so uh, th- those are the kind of things i would say are where we collaborate very closely on and a last point i would also say is you know again as a company we say that if you are in uh, people in capabilities that you shall stick and talk only about that or if you are in marketing and communications you shall stick and talk only about that so it's when you are sitting at the ceo's table you talk as a leader of the company bringing from your own perspective what you see and bring it to life and add that value so that also helps i guess to some extent break down any potential silos and those functional specialization i'm here so i only talk about it and i keep my mouth shut till that time somebody asks me something about marketing or communications otherwise mm-hmm. wonderful and you know raja i think everybody hopefully everybody because i i've touted it a million times and we've talked about it several times now is familiar with the model that you also implemented with that same cfo that went to the risk management function you made a conscious decision to help everybody in marketing become more general management focused by providing tools for them to really understand the business which is the finance and michael you were on board at that time too i mean that was a massive shift to create a net new marketing finance team so that everybody had visibility into marketing and everybody knew what they were talking about and using the same language right yeah absolutely i think the feature that i think raja has brought into the marketing function is that commercial sense and where marketing is viewed in some organizations it's the ones that you know come up with all the fancy campaigns and and also that is certainly an important part of a marketing function but i think what's really important here what's really resonated the last few years is actually marketing is brought into the sales process or in deepening relationships with existing customers and it's leveraging the assets that we may have with sponsorships or it's that last mile that we're trying to to win a deal and raja personally will be asked to come in and uh, and help in closing the deal and it's sometimes that's the differentiator it's not the product necessarily the product is obviously important but a lot of the competitors got similar product. it's that differentiator of what we can add and quite often it's that marketing and that sponsorship and that's communication piece that really is the the final piece which the clients go wow we don't see that in any other businesses and then what has happened beautifully and again this might be giving uh, raja you know his year end performance appraisal but he's done amazing things where once he's gone and done these kinds of pitches at the end the the client will actually say raja can you come back and actually share more with our marketing function and so it's almost a way of demonstrating thought leadership not just on our innovative technology and products that we have but also the way that we're thinking about using brand and sponsorship and marketing as real force multipliers um for our organization so it's it's really good it's that's where the commerciality is really important and building that through the organization so michael that is amazing because i think you just set up one of our topics that we're going to cover in just a minute because raja certainly does know a thing or two about his field in fact i think he is one of the the top in his field a quantum marketer something of that nature right raja sort of <laughs> sort of I've gone, 
I'm talking about startup for the quantum marketer. <laughs> yes, the, a quantum marketer is a new coined term, and we're going to talk about your book, Quantum Marketing, in just a minute. But let, let's let's continue down this path on when you and the CFO work together to create this marketing finance team. Just real quickly, can you just describe for people who haven't heard about that incredible case study? Like, what did you do? Yeah. See, one of the things that many companies have, and I must say that even at MasterCard, we had the same situation, is there is a profound level of gap or distrust between finance and marketing. Marketing feels that finance is after them to take away their budgets, and they ask very uncomfortable and tough questions. And therefore, you want to hide your money very carefully and protect it as best as you can. You exaggerate, you hype, you cry, you whine, you but eventually protect. But unfortunately, when you're asked a question, okay, this is what you have spent, what have you given the company in return? You give some marketing jargon. You know, the brand awareness has gone up, the net promoter score has gone up. You have already lost the CFO or the CEO because they are looking for more tangible things that are business oriented directly. While they believe maybe in, in the brand, they're not looking for brand answer or marketing answer. They're looking for finance answer or business answer. So at the time, the CFO of the company was Martina. And so, in fact, I remember in one of the very first meetings, she asked me some numbers, about some numbers, and I said, yeah, I've got this. And I said, let me just get you the spreadsheet. And I put the whole thing and she said, wow, this is the first time I'm seeing to this level of depth. I didn't really, you know, uh, it, it sort of began a nice journey of transparency. And then at that point in time, then we decided, saying that, look, actually, instead of finance being in finance and auditing marketing, shouldn't finance be in marketing and also deal reporting too? So both marketing and finance. And I said that way, that way you'll see everything that is there in the company. And at the same time, I have reassurance that I got the finance person within marketing who would actually protect the interests of marketing. And if money is being taken away, he is or she is, is able to look at the whole thing. So that, that's how we began the entire thing. And actually, it's a full-fledged department. It's not one individual in the finance function. What this does is today, for example, whether it is for budgeting or whether it is for monitoring or for it is for controls or it is for proper governance or it is for return on investment management or estimates, et cetera, they are all beautifully done by this particular group. They do a brilliant job. And that same day that something is shown to me, the CF of the company also gets to see. So there is no process where let's sanitize it, let us censor it and filter it and then give it kind of a thing. So that's how actually we evolved because as a marketer, one of the most important things is you have nothing to hide. If you know what you are doing, you can afford to be totally transparent. And I think you should be transparent because it's not your personal money. It's a company's money. And I think the CFO's role is to protect the company's money. And your accountability is to make sure that you are utilizing the money that you are actually getting which typically is one of the largest expense lines in any P&L for most of the companies, which is the marketing and advertising dollars. So you have that accountability to justify it. So that's how we started. And today I feel so good about this uh, whole arrangement. And so much so that in 2017, I believe, is when we transitioned, uh, I asked my previous CFO to take on the role of uh, head of risk management. So she's now 
managing risk for all of marketing, which is whether it is, you know, all kinds of risks with a data privacy risk, or it is data security risk, or it is reputational risk, brand disintermediation risk, finance risk. You've got tons of risks that marketing actually faces. And somebody who looks at it, puts the map, puts the governance processes in place and the contingency plans in place and everything moves like a clockwork. That's what really helped us also to quickly move. For example, when COVID-19 crisis unfortunately happened, we did not foresee COVID-19 materializing, but we did see economic crisis as one of the future scenarios. We said that there'll be social unrest as one of the future scenarios. So we could quickly pivot and had, for example, converted our priceless experiences that used to be predominantly in the physical world to convert them into digital experiences that people can have right from their homes. So those kind of things can happen beautifully. And that's what I feel very good about. And I keep evangelizing to my peers saying that, you know, folks, you have to have a risk management focus in your marketing departments. I I would just add to that. I think the one thing that uh, Raja brings is not just the creative genius, but also that pragmatism so that marketing is not positioned just as a, a cost, as you mentioned, on a spreadsheet or on a balance sheet, but actually brings value to the organization. And I think that equation about, yes, there's investment that's required, but also the value that it brings to our company is really the area where he focuses a lot on. And by understanding the dynamics and the key drivers of the organization and the business, that actually comes out much more stronger rather than just talking about, we need to do this, we need to spend X million. Well, the answer from a, or the question from the CFO is always going to be, why? What am I going to get? And it's not just at that level, Nadine, it actually goes all the way to the board. I mean, Raja comes along annually to the board and every board meeting, there is a, a section where we actually, he shares what we're doing on the brand and the marketing and so forth. Um, and they are also very engaged in terms of what we're doing externally and internally with our, with our business. That is wonderful to hear. And I know a very important topic for many, many CMOs is not just how to participate across a C-suite, but how to show up in the boardroom. And so Raja, I imagine a future masterclass with you at some point, and uh, we'll come back to that one. (laughs) But Michael, I do have one more question for you. And, you know, it comes back to employer brand. It also comes back to what Raja was just talking about, reputation risk. And when we look at last year and the social unrest, what's critically important for companies now is to not just talk about diversity and inclusion, but to actually do something about it. And the brand marketers in the organization have a large role in that as well. How do you think about that these days? Yeah, so we we look... Every day. I mean, we've been on the journey of diversity, equity, inclusion, like many great companies for many years. Last year, obviously, it came into sharp focus with the murder of George Floyd. We came out with what we call the Insolidarity Plan. And the Insolidarity Plan really looks at diverse inclusion for uh, minorities, and particularly African-American, around three pillars. One being people, very critical. So we've really focused around what are we doing from recruitment? Are we actually doing enough from diverse candidate states? And we've actually got a mechanism in place where we're tracking all of that. We, we measure, we monitor, we look at conversion rates, we look at our internal promotion. And there's a whole range of metrics there. We went out publicly to say that we want to increase by 50% our VP and above population. That's publicly out there. 
we've introduced mentoring programs uh, for disadvantaged. And we've done one which I'm involved in, a reverse mentoring program to really uh, um, align some of the individuals that we have in our organization to provide education to some of the executives as well about their life and what is it that's missing and what is it we can do to help them from a sponsorship perspective in their career. So that's sort of one big pillar. The other pillar is around market and the market pillar really cuts across areas such as marketing. So what are we doing from our, our sponsorship and our brand? Are we inclusive enough in the way that we talk about our brand or not? And so there's a whole lot of work that Raj and his team are doing around that side of it, as well as our products. Are our products accessible to all communities equally? So there's a lot of work there. And then the final pillar is around society. And so there's a lot of effort that's gone in there with our philanthropic efforts around public policy and around community programs and inclusion just generally around helping governments and helping educational institutions as well bringing into the ecosystem. So they're sort of the three pillars that we have, but it's an area of tremendous focus. It's in our corporate scorecard. So tremendous amount of effort and transparency around the work that we need to do. And it's not just talking about it. We meet regularly and we have to track and, uh, and measure success. And again, this is a topic that we've spoken to with the board and the board actually wants to see on a regular basis updates around what progress are we making? Are we actually seeing a shift in the curve in our recruitment numbers in the way that we're out there from a diversity uh, ranking perspective? So there's a tremendous amount of work there. And it's, again, integral to our brand and our purpose and our vision as a company. Wonderful. Thank you, Michael. It has been an absolute honor to meet you today. I'm so grateful that we had time to spend together and I get to meet one of Raja's peers. We're, we're going to have a little bit of time left and I, I was wondering if we could spend it on something that's also very interesting and new and coming out on the day that this new show releases as well. Is that all right? Thank you, Nadine. Yes. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank so you. Raja... Today's the day, February 9th. February 9th, indeed. The day, we're, we're actually not recording this on February 9th, but not too far from it. It's February 5th. So when this goes out live on February 9th, a dream, a journey of yours comes true. What is that? So, you know, one of my bucket list items was to write a book, right? My grandfather has written a book. My dad had written a book, but they were all in English literature and in English poetry. Now, I'm not blessed with that level of English competency, and my area of strength is marketing. So I have written this book called Quantum Marketing, and really pleased and delighted that this book is getting released 9th of February, and it's being simultaneously released in multiple countries, India, India Canada, Singapore, Australia, and of course, the US. Uh, already it's being translated to two languages so far. I'm happy about that. And uh, Nadine, I think, you know, nothing is more gratifying when you put up some very provocative kind of theories and concepts and some of the peers that you hold in the highest regard actually come back to say, wow, that has been fantastic. And that's exactly what happened in this case. And you know, whether it is professors from Harvard and Yale and places like that, 
are several CEOs, or many of my CMO peers from Unilever, from Anheuser-Busch, from General Mills and Kimberly Clark, a whole bunch of companies they have come back to say how they thought that this book was really eye-opening in many ways. And the best quote, I must say, and this is something which, you know, when I need to feel extra happy, I keep going and reading that particular quote from Ivan Pollard, who is the CMO of General Mills. And his quote says, this book will do to our view of marketing what Copernicus's book did to our view of the world. It'll change it forever. So to me, I could not expect any better compliment. And I feel so grateful that this is what he felt. And it is the kind of sentiment that was reflected uh, by the people who have read the manuscript of my book. And I feel so very grateful for that. And I'm really thrilled that it's coming out imminently. That is a beautiful quote. I was very impressed with your book as well, which is why I wanted to talk about it. Quantum marketing is the name of it. My goodness. And wow. Like, tell us a little bit about the book and then I'd love to hear what inspired you to write it. Yeah. I'm a chemical engineer by training uh, and I followed the sciences. I used to study them, right? Physics is the science with which you try to understand the physical world around you, how things work and how like the gravity, electricity and magnetism, etc. And physics worked very well for a number of centuries. Till such time, mankind discovered outer space and they found that the phenomena in the outer space were simply not explainable by the classical physics or Newtonian physics. Same thing when you go inside an atom and try to figure out what's happening inside the atom. Classical physics is of no help. And lastly, likewise, if you see objects which are flying at a tremendous speed, classical physics cannot explain what the phenomena is. So a new field of physics was born called quantum physics. And this was initiated by Max Planck. And that is now the foundation for all our modern understanding of science, physical science. Now, when I saw the world of marketing, there was a stunning parallel to me. Now, marketing has been practiced since you know, millennia, right? If you go to Pompeii ruins, marketing was seen there. Not only marketing, but location-based marketing was being practiced you know, during the days of Pompeii before Mount Vesuvius exploded or erupted. So the point is, marketing was advancing and going from one paradigm to next. Each time there was a new technology or a pair of technologies which are coming. Initially, it all used to be about product marketing. But then with the advent of radio and television, marketing moved to paradigm two, emotional marketing. With the advent in the 1990s of internet and data analytics in a sophisticated way, marketing moved to the third paradigm. And then, which is digital marketing, birth of digital marketing. Then in 2007, when marketing has uh, you know, witnessed or the world has witnessed the birth of social media and iPhone, Mobile marketing and social marketing were born. Marketing was pushed into the fourth paradigm. And each time it was entering a new paradigm, it had to reinvent itself. Now, as I sit here and look out, I see more than two dozen new powerful technologies that are coming at us like a tsunami. Artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality, wearables, drones, smart speakers, autonomous cars, 3D printing, 5G telecommunications. It's unbelievable. Blockchains. These are going to disrupt marketing in an unprecedented fashion. Current way of managing marketing through this new fifth paradigm, as I call it, is not going to happen because classical marketing will simply not work in the fifth paradigm. You need to reinvent and reimagine marketing. 
And that new marketing is what I'm calling it as quantum marketing. It's a completely radically new and a different approach to how you do marketing. So what quantum physics is to physics, I would like to believe quantum marketing is to marketing. And probably this will be the basis for all future as far as marketing is concerned. And so I'm very excited about it. And I said, it's also very provocative because I'm challenging a lot and lots of established theories, concepts, and practices. And if I can just give one example, say, take something like loyalty, right? I read some report in bbc.com that amongst people who are either in a committed, in a marriage or in a committed relationship, the vast majority of them have admitted in surveys that they have cheated on their partners. I actually sat up when I saw it was more than 70%. And typically in surveys, who is going to admit, yes, I have cheated. So probably this number is understated. So if an overwhelming majority of people in a committed relationship are not loyal to their uh, partners, and also they're aware of the consequences of either a reputational damage or a financial damage or an emotional damage, still they're not loyal. So here we are as marketers sitting and spending hundreds of billions of dollars running loyalty programs. How smart is that? So I'm saying loyalty, if people are not hardwired for loyalty, it's a bigger hypothesis. The fact is we need to reinvent and evolve loyalty. We need to transform the way we look at loyalty. And that I call as preference management. When consumers are confronted with a multitude of choices, how do you influence the preference of that consumer in favor of your brand is the preferential management. So the concept of winning consumers and keeping them forever is not realistic. There is a role for loyalty platforms for sure, but it has to evolve pretty dramatically. And in fact, I can tell you at MasterCard, we already have created some of these preference management platforms in conjunction with our loyalty platform. So we are already in the transitional kind of a phase. So this is one of the things that I talk about, right? And I'm talking, is advertising really the model you have to go after? Is consumer insights even the right way to look at life? And th there are so many concepts in this, like, you know, is purpose fluffy? Or is it just a politically correct thing for that you put in your annual reports and the CEO says in some uh, you know, investor's day? Or is it really a guiding light for the company and for marketing? So I'm, I'm challenging a lot of these established theories and concepts and practices. It, it's going to be fascinating. So I'm not just challenging them, but I'm also suggesting a solution, what the solution would be, and give a broad approach to how that solution should be implemented by marketers. So it's almost like a very high-level playbook as well for the future. And like I said, the uh, response so far has been very, very heartening. Uh, and I feel very grateful and blessed for that. Wow. Amazing. And I can just imagine what Michael's thinking now about having to rewrite all the job descriptions. We're already working on it. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. And, you know, that's a whole nother topic, too, which I, I'm sure, Raja, so many people will be enlightened if they are able to get a copy of your book and read it. I know I was, but leaders overall need to prepare for a radical shift in the skills on the teams. And we've been talking about that for a while, but it's imperative now. And as, as you were both saying, technology took a massive leapfrog forward. We were just talking about 
augmented humans. Mm -hmm. And it's not long, according to a futurist we just had on, before humans have receptors in their hair follicles and you are the iPhone. There's no need to have this external device. You're already augmented because you're holding the phone. But imagine if it's hardwired in your head. Like that's coming. The way we do marketing, all the skills need to change. So we don't have enough time in this show to cover it all, but I'll, I'll ask one real quick question to you, Raja. Where can people find your book if they want to go get a copy of it? They can go to amazon.com or bonsandnoble.com. So practically all the good stores that sell books, it's available everywhere. And hopefully they'll pick up the book and hopefully they'll find it interesting and inspiring. And I would really welcome them to reach out to me if they want to discuss. I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, and I'll be happy to engage with them. If they want to challenge me, I'm up to it and up for it. And if they want to agree with me, that's also fantastic. So looking forward to interacting with them. Wonderful. Thank you, Raja. And Michael, you get the final word here. If you were to give advice to a CMO today on how to be a quantum CMO, not just quantum in the sense of everything that Raj is talking about, but all the things we've been talking about today in really working well with the C-suite, what, what advice would you give? I would say embrace the new and different have a point of view and build those bridges with your colleagues, with your finance department. I think for, for chief marketing officers around the world, it, it is such a privileged position. And it's a position that has so much influence and, and power, not in terms of a structural power, but power to really make a difference in the world and in people's lives. I think just embrace that opportunity and work together. So that's sort of one thing. The other thing I would say and when Raja came on board, we spoke right from the beginning around there are disciplines within marketing that should be transported into people functions, HR, the whole data analytics, this future visioning. There are certain disciplines, and you touched on it, Nadine, as well, about brand. There are so many things. There are parallels in marketing that should be part of a feature within, uh, within people function, HR function around the world. And I think uh, marketing functions, CMOs, can really help HR functions think about the future and partner together just as well as Raja and I have here at MasterCard. Absolutely. And you've both given some incredible examples for everybody to take note of and try to sample within their companies. Thank you both so much for sharing such valuable knowledge and some tips for everyone out there. I really appreciate you both being here. Thank you, Nadine. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank, thank you, Nadine. You. And thank you, Michael. Thank you, much Raja. Good to see you again. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I would love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues who you think might enjoy it too. And if you have time, I would really love your review or ratings on Apple or SoundCloud. So thanks again and have a great day. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.